Well, as the year 2016 comes to a close tomorrow, I know for some of you, as you look back on this last year, you're thinking, man, this is just a great year. It was filled with happiness, and it was what you hoped would happen came true, and, and you're just celebrating the end of a spectacular year. For others of you, it was just another year. Nothing significant happened, for better or worse. It was just one more year on, on the pile. You're like, yep, so that was done. Let's just go do another one. Maybe it's just kind of ho-hum for you. For others of you, though, if I were to guess, this last year has been a struggle. Maybe there's been some uncertainty or some disappointment or some sorrow in 2016. And I think if we're all honest, we all face struggles of various kinds. And living in Abu Dhabi is such a privilege because this city is indeed so strategic for the gospel, where God has brought all the nations here. So this mission to glorify God by making and developing disciples of all nations, and it's remarkable how God's done that, and he's brought them right here, brought us together. And so for all of the blessings that come with being in Abu Dhabi, if we're honest, it can also be really hard. Because when you live here, by definition, you're far away from your family and all that was familiar to you growing up. Jobs here are very uncertain. And what's hard about that is with the economy as it is, price of oil where it is, people don't know about contracts being renewed and where you live, so your home is tied to your visa. And so you have a family and there's uncertainty and that can be stressful at times. Work hours here tend to be very long and taxing. Cost of living here is quite high. If you don't go very hard, just look at school fees. That says it all. It's just, it's expensive to live here. And so there are some real challenges when the overall environment of Abu Dhabi at times can really kind of wear you down emotionally. And I know, because I've lived here for several years, and so it's not just you, I, I'm in the same boat, we're in this together. And for all of the realities and all of the struggles and challenges as we enter into this new year, there is great wisdom in, in stopping, and reflecting, and preparing our hearts for what God has for us with this new year. It's good to reflect on how we have been living and on how we have faith that God has plans to do more in our lives. And so maybe for you, what you need is your soul needs some serious healing. Maybe there's some errors in your life that need some significant change. Or maybe you, you have a, a yearning, a longing for God to use you in a more significant, impactful way for his kingdom this new coming year. So with whatever is on your heart, whatever God is calling you to, wherever you find yourself today, 2017 nonetheless is coming. And it's wise for us to meditate on God's word as we prepare our hearts whatever God has in store. And we'll be doing that today by looking at Psalm 30. So if I was please turn there, Psalm 30. I'm going to read the whole poem. 
and then we will see what God has for us in his word. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I have cried out to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from jail. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I have said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. To the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, O Lord, be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. Praise God for his word. The title of this psalm helps us to better understand the context of it. It says, A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. So what this tells us is that we know that the Holy Spirit inspired King David to write this song. We also know that this poem was sung during a dedication service, but there's a bit of mystery here as well, because David died before the temple was dedicated. So how can it then say that it was a dedication of the temple and that David wrote it? So we know that after David died, his son Solomon became the king, and it was Solomon who dedicated the temple. So it's a safe assumption for us to, to know here that David wrote this poem and he wrote it knowing that he would not be there when the temple was dedicated, but he wrote it in preparation for and had made that one day when his son went to the temple that this song would be sung during the temple's dedication. We don't know that for certain. We also don't know the exact circumstances that David was going through when he wrote this song. Other psalms, we know exactly what was happening when he wrote them. But this one, there's a bit of mystery, so we don't know the exact life setting or what David was going through, what he was talking about exactly. We, we don't know, but that's okay. We don't have to know all of that because here's what we do know. The Spirit of the living God inspired David to write these words. And we have much, just a lot that we can learn from Psalm 30. So what we do know for certain is that David was in a very dark place. That we can tell in the psalm. We can also see that when he looked all around in every direction, he saw defeat. He saw his, his opponents and he looked and they were bigger and stronger than him and more in number. And failure was on the horizon. 
and all of David's circumstances would suggest that all was lost. And what you see here is David going through some very profound sorrow. And yet, God was there. And there is hope. Our God meets us in our sorrow, like David. We can praise him and extol him in the middle of our sorrow. And this is why we exist. We exist to praise God. We exist to worship him, to glorify him. This is our purpose. And so you see this, even in the middle of sorrow, verse 1 and 2. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and then not let my foes rejoice over me. Oh, Lord, my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. And then you look at verse 11 toward the end of this poem. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So whenever someone was mourning or, or going through sorrow, they would wear sackcloth and put ashes and here he says, you lose it. So you took off the sackcloth. You've taken off my mourning. It's been turned into dancing. And you've covered me. I'm clothed with gladness. This power. Let me give you the primary truth. This is the main idea from this psalm. That our God has a plan to turn his people's gloom into gladness. God has a work and he has a plan to turn people's gloom into gladness. So you have here, David's mourning was turned into dancing. It was filled with gladness. And so what you see here is God rushes to offer help to the helpless. And he brings healing to the broken. And he restores life to those who are dying or despairing or defeated. God is still good in the middle of uncertainty or pain or disappointment. This psalm is a prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving for a God that we can trust and a God who gives us peace and gives us joy even when everything around us may seem to be going wrong. So you see here is from gloom to gladness. And my desire is that my life would reflect Psalm 30. In the middle of sorrow, I want, like it says here, to praise the Lord and have him lift me up from the pit of despair. I want to have victory over the enemy. Experience healing in God's restoration. I want to give thanks to God and experience his favor. I want the joy that comes in the morning after a night that's sleepless and full of weeping. I want to know my God as my helper. Oh, my morning turned into dancing. I want to be covered with gladness. I want to sing the praises of God and not be silent. I want to give thanks to my God forever. That is Psalm. May our lives reflect that. In the middle of our frustrations or our pain, don't you want to live like this? Is this not what you want? To have your gloom transformed in, into gladness, even if your circumstances don't change. 
even if the circumstances stay the same and even if they're crummy, you can still experience deep, satisfying joy like we see through David in Psalm 30. But the question remains, how? How does this happen? Practically, Pastor, how do I, how do, I do this? How, how is it that God moves his people from gloom to gladness? Well, let's look at that, because this text has a lot to reveal to us. And so moving from gloom to gladness requires, number one, a determined honesty with God. A determined honesty with God. And so David here, you see him being real. He's being transparent and honest with God. Just listen to David pouring out his heart to God. This is in verse 2. Oh, Lord, my God, I cry to you for help. And then in verse 10, he says, hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. He's crying out to God for help. He wasn't holding me back. He was being really honest with God. So David here was determined to be honest. There was a resolve. There was a, a commitment to be truly honest and real with God. Well, honest about what, you're wondering? Well, honest about his circumstances. He was honest. And so if, if your children are disobedient, just say it, man, my children are disobedient. Stop lying. They are. Okay, address it. Love them and teach them, but don't hide it. My marriage is really struggling. Okay, don't pretend it's not. Be honest about that. I have an addiction, whatever it is. Be honest. Come clean. Don't lie to yourself or to your God. Be honest about your circumstances. Be honest about your pain. He's being honest. God, I'm hurting. I'm struggling here. He was honest about his need. He was saying, God, I need you. I can't do this. He's honest about his inability to rescue himself. Honest about the fact that he can't fix himself. But you see, David is just true, complete transparency and honesty with God. Are you hiding? Or are you honest with God? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, he knows everything anyway. So whether I'm honest or not, God already knows. So why do I have to do what David is doing? Like, why do I have to be so honest with God? It doesn't make any difference. He already knows the situation. It makes all the difference. Being honest with God makes an eternal difference. Because there is an eternal difference between being honest and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, confessing with your mouth that you need him, is eternally different from lying to yourself and saying, no, I got this. I don't need Jesus because I got this. It makes all the difference in your eternity. Being honest with God is the first step towards you having what your soul is craving. And I know what your soul is craving because I'm a fellow human being. What your soul is craving is 
positive for you, it's emotional or spiritual healing. Maybe it's freedom from an idol that has just kept you enslaved in bondage. Maybe what you're craving is to have a soul that is restored before God. Maybe you're craving transformed thoughts or holy desires. A satisfied soul with Jesus. Maybe you're craving real joy. In one word, you know what you crave? Peace. Peace with God. And why? Why is being honest with God so foundational? Because being honest with God shows your heart. See, a heart that lies to God or a heart that's holding back truth from God is, is a heart that doesn't really want to change. You might say you want to change, but you're lying to yourself and to God, and so you're you're exposing yourself and you're revealing that you don't really want to change all that bad. That you don't really want freedom from that idol. Maybe deep inside you're enjoying that idol too much and you don't actually really want to give it up. You want that comfort that it provides. And you don't really want holiness in the presence of Jesus. This is evidenced by the fact that you're lying to yourself or to God. But on the other hand, a heart that is real with God, that is honest about all of life, when you're pouring out your heart to God, you are confessing your sin. You're admitting your need. You're crying out to Him. You're giving Him your pain, saying, I can't handle this. I need you. You're admitting that you are broken and needy and that you are desperate for Him. That puts you on the path being clothed in gladness like we see in Psalm 3. Why is that? Because when you're being honest with God, that is showing that you are really trusting Him. So you're trusting in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus is what leads you to being more honest with Him. Guys, trust is a healing balm for a wounded soul. It really is. In our adoption process, when we brought home our two children from Ethiopia, we've, we've learned a lot in this process. A lot of reading and talking to people and our experience with our two adopted children has taught us that there are a lot of children that come from some really hard places. There are children that, that come from homes where, where they had severe trauma, whether it was physical or sexual abuse or whether it was just neglect or just different traumatic experiences or in some context not having enough food or whatever it is. And so whenever whenever you have a child that has had a, a, a trauma experience, even very young, even infants or toddlers, whenever you have children that had traumatic experiences and then when you remove them from that trauma and then even when they're in a loving, safe environment, that child is still traumatized and still struggles and so what will usually happen is that this child from a trauma experience will usually try to control situations and people and try to manipulate his parents or other adults and wants to always be in control because they weren't fed before and now they want to make sure that they have enough food and so this is just this is just coping 
this child was in survival mode for so long. And now that they're in a loving, trusting home, they don't know how to handle that. And so they misbehave or they, or they reject authority or they lie. And they do all of these things. And it's all oh, bad behavior. Yeah, it is. But they're doing it because they're traumatized. Their soul needs to heal. They need to learn to trust their new parents. And as the child begins to trust that there will be a meal, there's plenty of food. You don't have to go hide it. There's going to be food on the table. You can trust mommy and daddy. You can trust that daddy's not going to hurt you like the last person did. You, you, you can trust that mommy's going to hold you when, when you're hurting. When this begins to happen, at first, a child that can't handle it, then they learn to trust. And when they begin to trust, then the lying will stop. The anger will subside. The disobedience will be minimized. They'll be healthy. Trust is a healing ball for a wounded soul. And there are many adults that have been through their own traumatic experiences, and they are, yes, there are adults who look fine, they're fully functioning, they're married with kids, and yet they are walking wounded. They're really hurt. And the result is that they lie to protect themselves, to not lose more pain. They lie from God. They want to control and manipulate God so that they don't get hurt anymore. And they turn to all kinds of different things under the sun, idols, to try to cope and, and to find a sense of hope and comfort and relief from that pain. It doesn't work. That's just trying to survive. And whenever I talk to couples quite often that are that are struggling and have broken marriages, in almost every case, it's not even really a broken marriage, it's broken people. And if the individual is healthy and whole, then their marriage will heal. So what is the solution to this? Trust. You trust Jesus. You rest in him. The more that you will trust Jesus, that he will provide for you, that there will be food on the table, that he will take care of you, and he will hold you, that he's not going to leave you, he won't neglect you, he won't abandon you, he won't forsake you. The more that you begin to trust him and know that he wants what's best for you and he's not going to hurt you, the more you trust Jesus, the more that your soul will heal and the more that you will stop lying to God. The more you're going to be honest because you trust him with the truth. Trust. It always goes back to trusting Jesus. Stop lying to him. Will you come clean with your God like David did about your struggles, about your habits, your pain? Don't push him away. Let Jesus come in heal and sustain and transform and truly just change life. And so practically, 
How do you do this? How do you rest your soul and really learn to trust Jesus and come clean with him? How do you do this? It's a relationship with him. So you do it with the word. You read the word quietly and slowly. Let him speak to you. And, and then you pray. Well, you've resolved to pray this year. Talk to Jesus, not just at your focused quiet time, but all the time, in conversation with him, drawing near to him, hearing his voice. We need solitude. That's how you do it. Solitude. And we are honest with our God. We just draw near to him. So we need the word. We need prayer. We need to, like Psalm 30, pray it back to him. Read it, apply it to you, and as you're reading it, you pray, you pray the words, apply it to you as you spend time in his presence. But I would say in addition to word and prayer, I believe that journaling is very helpful in this. Yes, even guys, I believe, firmly need to journal. They think, oh, no, girls do that. Yes, they do, and they're smart. Guys need to do this as well. David wrote down his fears. David wrote down his thoughts. David wrote down his pouring his heart out to God. David did it. And he was a manly man. He took down Goliath. So it's not feminine. It's not, it's not, oh, that's just emotional. No, you have emotions. You do. God made you with emotions. So don't deny them or try to hide them. Write down your fears, your dreams, your struggles, your questions, your insights from the word. Write it down. Write down your prayers. Just put you in the flow of being honest with God. But in addition to that, I want to give you some examples of questions that you should consider. They're on the screen. These are some, some journaling questions. Number one, ask yourself, how did I feel today? Now, if you're doing this in the evening, then you can review how the day has been do it in the morning, maybe how the previous day was, whatever you do this, but how have I felt? Did I feel stressed? Was I really irritable? Was I really anxious? What's, what's going on inside of me? Self-awareness is key, and we need to be quiet long enough to ask the questions and, and let the Spirit speak to us and really evaluate, well, how are we doing? How, how did I today? What's going on inside? Second, ask yourself, how did I treat people today? How did I treat people today? Were you respectful? Were you detached? Were you loving? Were you deceitful? Evaluate. How am I treating people today? Now, if you're going through a season where maybe you and a parent or a child are having a difficulty and you're working or, or maybe in your marriage and, and you're trying to rehab, so to speak, your marriage and having new patterns and, and really see it restored, you can personalize this. How did I treat my wife today? How, how did I treat my husband today? And ask yourself that question. Was I kind? Was I respectful? Was I rude? How did I treat my daughter today? Or how did I treat my mother today? 
if that's a strain relationship. So this can be general, but this can be focused. If there's a particular relationship that is struggling, how to treat my boss today, if that's a difficult one. Whatever it is, apply this, personalize. Next is you can ask, were my actions today in line with the person I say I want to be? So if you say that you're a follower of Jesus and you want to reflect his glory and walk in holiness and integrity and purity, well, did my actions today, or were they actually in line with that? Is it consistent or is it not? It's important. Self-awareness and being honest with our God as we spend time quietly with him. Solitude. Next, you could ask, how did I intentionally pursue Jesus today? Did I even think about Jesus today? Or was I just going so fast I never even stopped to even think about him or talk to him or read his word or, or sing to him or hear music that stirs my soul? Are we intentionally pursuing Jesus? May 2017 be a fresh start. We draw near to him. And you have greater self-awareness of what's going on and healthier relationships with others and with God. This word of prayer and self-examination really is the key to living this life of joy in the presence of Jesus. It's honesty with God. Now, you can't be honest with God if you're lying to yourself. So it starts there. Be honest with yourself, and then you can be honest with God. And when you're honest with yourself and you're honest with God, then you're going to find yourself being more honest with other people. Because when you're lying to other people or hiding things, then you're going to feel convicted because you're walking in the light. So you're walking with him. You're studying the word. You're praying. You're, you're, you're journaling. And so you're being held accountable. So all of a sudden, whenever you're lying to others, like, you feel convicted about the spirit that we're supposed to. And so this will make us as a whole more honest people. And it leads to an ongoing life of confession, of repentance, of healing, change, integrity, honesty with others. And so if you want to move from gloom to gladness, the first one is be honest with God. Number two is it requires a determined dependence on God. Be determined, resolved to depend on God. You see verses 6 through 8? He says, as for me, as in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. And so you see here in verse 6, David, in his prosperity, he was doing well, and he, he got the big head. He thought, I'm doing fine, relying on himself. But then it says in verse 7, he says, you hid your face. I was dismayed. And so when he was arrogant and he thought he had everything under control, he was not depending upon God, he lost the presence of God. God hid his face, and I was dismayed. So verse 8, to you, O Lord, I cry, and Lord, I plead for mercy. And so when we don't depend on God, we lose his presence. His presence gets clouded because we're lying on ourselves and then sin begins to creep in. And so self-reliance and self-sufficiency is the sin that drives us far from God. It says he was dismayed at the loss of 
of having God's presence clouded in his life. That he no longer felt close to God. And so what does he do? He cries out for help. He was honest. And he says in his pain, hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. Be my helper. That is dependence on God. In the middle of sorrow, what you see here is depending upon God. And the ultimate example of this is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus never sinned, and yet he experienced great sorrow. The night that he was betrayed, he was filled with so much pain and anguish that when he was praying, he was sweating blood. And yet, in that sorrow, he was entrusting his soul to the Father. Because Jesus wanted the glory of God more than he wanted his own comfort. And he accomplished our redemption. And so we are promised ultimate joy. We do have hope. On that same night that he was betrayed before praying in the garden, we read earlier in John 16, this is verse 20, Jesus told his friends, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. He says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. That's the promise, that our sorrow will be turned into joy. Seeing the resurrected Jesus would give them joy. Joy that no one could take away the same is true of you and me. Jesus died for us. Our sin is paid for. He gives us forgiveness. And so even in our sorrow, we can experience the joy of salvation and of his presence. So we can depend on God in the middle of all the uncertainty, knowing that he is at work in our lives, changing us and sustaining us. And he gives us purpose. Because your life matters. You are deeply loved, and you have the joy of displaying his glory as you live for him. And so we are honest with God. We depend on God. Number three, from gloom to gladness means being a determined receiving of the mercy of God. So receiving the mercy of God. You see, the mercy of God is available, and God is waiting for you to draw near to him, to receive it. Verses 4 and 5, he says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. This is the picture of mercy. You see it in verse 10. He cries out, Be merciful to me, O God. And so you see that there's the assurance that God was angry, but that anger was paid for Jesus on the cross. And so now his favor, his grace, his mercy lasts forever. And so we have the assurance that even if you're weeping right now, if you're in a season that's hard, that you're guaranteed that joy will come in the morning. It's coming. On this side of heaven or on the other for the resurrection, joy eternally is coming. And so we can receive his mercy and we can rest in his mercy. And the more that your heart will rest in the mercy of God and truly experience it, the more you're going to respond with worship the way King David did. Singing for Jesus and saying that he can't be silent 
Verse 12, sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I pray for you and for me that in 2017, that Jesus will be more real to us than he ever has been before. So how do you experience this? You keep looking to Jesus. You keep drawing near to Jesus. Keep pursuing Jesus. Keep seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So we'll keep it simple. To move from gloom to gladness, no matter what you're going through, be determined to be honest with God. Be determined to truly depend on God. Be determined to receive the mercy of God, to trust Him and know that it is there. This will change your life. You will find yourself being more gracious than merciful to other people. You will see yourself having new holy desires and really wanting to serve Jesus and impact for his kingdom like never before. You will find yourself just wanting to influence others with the gospel, to accomplish great things for him. And you'll find your soul satisfied with Jesus as we live for of our King. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You pray with me. Lord, we do praise you together. You are so good to us that you can transform our gloom into gladness. You can change our mourning into dancing. With whatever we're facing, we can have joy as we rest our souls in you, and we thank you that your son made that possible. That with this joy, we can go and share the good news with others and see people's lives transformed as they encounter you, Jesus. As we end 2016 and begin 2017, I pray that we would be a people that love you, trust you, and that will result in obeying you. We thank you in the name of our Savior Jesus.